Well, good morning, everybody. It's uh, nice to be here and have the opportunity to come and share God's word. You know that God loves you? Oh, awesome. So first of all, thank you very much, Ken, for um, helping me out last week when I wasn't feeling well. And um, Ken's preaching on a, a series called Assurance, Not Insurance. And last week he spoke on No More Dread. Who knows what the verse for last week was and can shout it out. <laughs> shout it out. Yes. There's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I got a little something for you. Come see me afterwards, like some smarties. <laughs> we got to be ready to shout that verse out any time when we feel in doubt, any time that we challenge. So that's why I said, shout it out. We need to be able to be ready. Okay. All right. Let's get organized here. Our topic for today, we're going to be talking about God's sovereign. Um, let's listen carefully. There's a lot of um, scripture that we're going to go through. Um, so listen carefully. It's really, really interesting. And I really think God's got something he wants to say to us today. So why would we look at the sovereignty of God, right? As we look back over our lives, uh, many of us have suffered losses, major challenges, disappointments. We've also celebrated some successes, milestones, and achievements. So why would we then study and, and look at the sovereignty of God? We do this to better understand who God is, make sense of our past, and, and also better learn from our mistakes and sufferings. And if God is sovereign, and He is, how will that influence our thinking? All right, this is going to be a little bit interactive, right? So you can see already. Um, who's made resolutions for this year? Okay, not too many people. Now, the stats would say about 9% of those people will actually keep them. So... Who's broken those resolutions already? Okay, so about a third of them already. So, okay. All right, so hopefully today um, we'll, this will help you set goals um, to strengthen your relationship with God. All right, so firstly, what does sovereign even mean? So if we go to the dictionary, from the dictionary, sovereign means possessing supreme or ultimate power, acting independently and without outside interference, possessing royal power and status. Uh, more importantly, though, what is the biblical definition of sovereign? It's an absolute right and authority of God to do all things according to his own good pleasure. God is sovereign because he is the ultimate source of all power and existence. He rules and reigns over the entire universe, and his will cannot be opposed. His sovereignty makes him superior over all gods, and he is definitely worthy of our worship. So what, I what is God's sovereign plan for his people and for us? So I'm going to summarize it using Jesus' own words. In Matthew 22, 34 to 40, it says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. 
The second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the law and the prophets. Remember this. We're going to come back to this a little bit later. Then he also left the disciples with a great commission. In Matthew 28, 16 to 20, it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the ends of the age. We've heard this many times from this pulpit, which is really cool. So then, this is a high-level summary of what God wants us to do in our daily lives. So if we do this, does this mean that we will not have trouble? So let's once again look what Jesus says about it in John 16, 33. He said, I have said these things that you I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation or trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So through tribulation and trouble, we can have peace in him. Okay, with this in mind, let's dig into the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God is often overlooked in today's, uh, by today's teachers focusing on God's love, the New Testament, and uh, to better fit into and support the new culture of affirma and affirmation. I've even heard a pastor say that if the Old Testament scripture does not support what they teach about Jesus and his willingness to forgive unrepented sinners, just leave that scripture. You see, if you try and make scripture support anything that is not in scripture, you'll run into problems with other scriptures. That is why it is important for us to understand the sovereignty of God and that he's the same God in the New Testament and the Old Testament. And all scripture is from God. Paul in his letter to Timothy said in Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, All scriptures are God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So, is God sovereign over everything, including calamities, natural disasters, death and demons, or is he restricted to things such as material blessings, family welfare, and salvation, things that we pray for perhaps more often? Is God sovereign over the deeds of evil people? And if God is sovereign over everything, do we have a free will? And if God is sovereign, why do we pray? So those are some of the questions that we're going to try and answer today. And I've grouped, I've grouped it together in seven points for us to better understand God's sovereignty. And the first one is point number one. It's God is sovereign over nature. In Matthew, well, let's, you know, um, if you think back and Jesus was on the boat and, um, the, dis and the storm comes up and the disciples get afraid and uh, the disciples go and wake him up at the back of the boat there and say, this is what, this is what goes down, right? And in Matthew eight twenty five to 26, the disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves and it was completely calm. So there God in Jesus has complete power over the, uh, the storm. In Psalms 104, 147, 148, it talks extensively about how God controls nature that means 
What I've read to you means that God is sovereign over hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, any natural disasters that we may face. The second point we want to look at is God is sovereign over the animal kingdom. So you remember um, Daniel in the lion's den? And um, uh, he gets thrown into the, the lion's den because uh, he's not worshipping the king. And uh, this is what it says in Daniel 6.22. This is when the king goes to, goes to see him in the morning. It says, My God has sent his angels, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. So there, we know that story, right? The mouths of those lions were shut. Then, just think of the challenge Noah would have had, right? In getting all the animals. He builds this ark. It takes him like 75 years to, to build it. And then God says, all right, now you're going to go get two of every animal. If Noah had to do that by himself, that would have been a big challenge. So what does Genesis 7, 8 say? It just says, pairs of clean and unclean animals of birds and all the creatures moving along the ground, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark as God had commanded Noah. So God just told the animals, go, and they went. So he is con complete control over all the animals as well. So he's control over nature, he's contro in control over the animals. The third point, <coughs> sorry, God is sovereign over people and leaders. Ken preached on this verse uh, just a few weeks ago. Proverbs 21.1, it says, In the Lord's hands... The king's heart is a stream of water that he channels towards all who please him. God can change the mind of a king. As an example, in Ezra 1.1, it says, In the first year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, Jeremiah might be filled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout his kingdom and also put in writing. And what did he say? He issued a decree that the Jews would be free to return to Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple. God just changed the mind of, of, of King Cyrus to do that. There are many places where God influences the decisions of people like this. The fourth point is God is sovereign over our plans and what appear to be random events in our lives. Proverbs 19.21, it says, Many are the plans in, in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. I remember a time when I worked at a company in, in Botswana, and they suddenly closed their doors, and they just called us in and said, nobody has jobs anymore, uh, we're not going to get paid, um, and, and, and we just had to leave. And many of my, the people who worked with me were really distraught. They didn't know what they were going to do. And um, I was not afraid. In fact, I was a little bit excited because I kind of I knew that God was going to have to do something in our lives. I had not I had no resources or means, and and I was excited um, to see what God was going to do. And the reason is, sometime before this, after buying a house um, without consulting God, anybody made a big decision without consulting God? All right, so this is what happens. Um, he told me that the current house would not sell. So this is how it goes down, right? Um, we go and we sign for the house, Cleone and I, and we get back and I realize I have not consulted him and I feel like I need to go and, and uh, spend some time with the Lord now. And I, I go pray and he leaves this verse with me. Um, in 1 Kings 18.33, and this is where Elijah and Ahab 
uh, build altars. The Lord had them build altars, right? And um, Ahab was going to ask Baal to, to come and take the sacrifice. And then after that, Eli Elijah was going to do it. We know that Baal is not a real god, so nothing happened. The altar just stood, right? So let's read um, 1 Kings 18.33 said, he piled wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces, and laid the pieces on, on the wood. Then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering and the wood. After they had done this, he said, do the same again. And when they had finished, he said, now do it a third time. So they did as he said, and the water ran around the altar and filled even the trenches. Okay, and we all know the story, right? When, when Elijah prayed, uh, fire came down from heaven and consumed um, the ox, the wood, the stone, even the water. He consumed it all. And so I went down and said to Cleone, um, this is what the Lord's told me. Our house is not going to sell easily. And um, there was an apartment on a hill that they normally sold very easily. And uh, so this was an unusual thing to even think. And it didn't sell easily. And I had faith through the, um, the bank calling me, a young guy, and telling me that I don't earn enough to have two mortgages. Um, so I was quite brave because I had the scripture to lean on. Um, but eventually it got to a point where there was not enough time for the, the deal to go through because it doesn't work like, yeah, yeah, you, there you wait on, you don't just, yeah, you decide the date. In South Africa, you wait for a date. They just tell you when it happens. <coughs> So eventually I did start getting, wor getting worried, and we decided to visit an old church that we went to, and there was a visiting pastor who happened to be preaching on, on God's faithfulness. And at the end of the sermon, he asked um, who needed to be encouraged, basically calling, out, calling me out on my now very, very desperate situation. And um, it was really encouraging because God really encouraged me in that time. And the house took another two weeks to sell. And um, the sales still went through on time. I was not in trouble. And the sales agent came to me and said in her, in her career, she had never seen something happen so quickly. So you see, because I went through that, I was able to know that even though I was put out of work in Botswana, I could have courage. I could trust God. I could have faith. Another verse, um, Proverbs uh, 16, 9 reminds us, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. In Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast in the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. This is very comforting for us to know that um, as we're looking for God's will, he's here to, our, to direct our paths. It also means when we look at these scriptures and, and this section that God is sovereign over accidents, injuries, and anything that can happen to us. Fifth, the fifth point is God is sovereign over life, who we are, and death. So in Psalm 139, 13 to 16, it says, For you are created, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know you that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to being. 
this passage has to provide us with comfort and confidence in who we are and that God made us and how much and God loves us. He even knows what our last moment on earth is going to be and nobody can change that. You see, there are no mistakes. Even the most challenged or differently abled person is knit together in God's in by God himself, the creator. So Samson's mom was barren, right? And an angel came to her, and in Judges 13, 3, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. There are many, many incidences in the Bible where we, we see that God either closes a womb or opens a womb for, for, for people to have children. In Exodus um, 4.11, you'll remember this story uh, about Moses. He's standing next to the burning bush and, and God's telling him, you're going to go and free up my, free my, Isra my the Israelites, my people. And he starts complaining that he can't speak eloquently. And, and then God says this to him. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? This is a difficult one for us to understand. However, it's very important for us to understand this. We need to understand that God is in control of all these things. And he has a plan in all these things, part of his sovereign plan. The sixth point is God is sovereign over the suffering of his people. Genesis uh, 50, 20, it says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that my people should be kept alive um, as they are today. And this is Joseph talking to his brothers after he sold them into slavery. And Joseph was there to help his brothers and his people get food when there was a big famine in the land. In James 5.11 it says, As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. You know, jo Job brings us big insight as into how God works. When Satan wants to do things for us, Satan has to go and get permission. And we can see that God restricts Satan in what he's able to do. And not only that, God fully restored Job afterwards. So we always, we've we, we got to remember that God uses suffering. Um, but suffering is also the consequence of the fall. There will be no suffering in, in heaven. Kitty has no more suffering. The Bible says that God uses suffering to refine us like gold. This is a, a verse that meant uh, a real lot to me as a young Christian, looking at all the bad things that were happening to friends and, and in youth work, trying to understand some of these things, you know. In 1 Peter 1.6 it says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief of all in all kinds of trials. These have come so that, your, that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. In Proverbs 17.3 it says, The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. 
You can see that God uses suffering to test and grow our faith and mold us into the person he wants us to be. You might ask then if we have free will, then how can God make us do things? And the first thing I'd remind us is that we often pray to God and say, we pray for his intervention and we want him to do things. As a non-Christian, God sometimes influences non-Christians' decisions for his glory, sometimes to help people, his people, like the Cyrus example, and sometimes to help that individual. So we can see that our free will and God's intervention do coexist. The seventh area we want to look at is God is also sovereign over, the so, uh, over his son's death. In Acts 22:23, it says, Jesus, who was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So Jesus dying on the cross is also part of God's sovereign plan for our salvation. Isaiah 53.10 says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. So it was God's will to let this happen to him. And in Luke 22.42 says, this is Jesus speaking. It says, Father, if you're willing, take up the cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. Jesus knew the will of the Father and he, and he did it. And if he didn't, the consequences for us would have been devastating. You see, Jesus himself laid down his life according to his Father's will and plan. So why all these points? It's important um, to know that God is control, in control and sovereign over everything. It's also important to understand that the full counsel of Scripture is from him. Yes, sometimes we do not understand what's happening. Sometimes we, 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 we realize later on in our life what's happening. And sometimes we'll never know. We're going to find out in glory what's happened. But we need to have faith in God. So if God is sovereign over everything, why do we need to pray? Prayer aligns our will with God's will by doing these things, by making us obedient. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, it tells us that we should pray continually. We need to be obedient to pray continually. Bringing peace to our hearts and minds. In Philippians 4, 6, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You can see the peace. It humbles us. In 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, one of my favorite verses, it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. You see, you cannot pray to our Father without humbling yourself. If you're not humble, you're not praying to him. <coughs> it grows our faith. In Matthew 17, 20, it says, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing is impossible for you. Our, our faith grows as we see our prayers answered. Grows our relationship with God when we pray. Psalm 62, 8, it says, Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. It provides a conduit for God's work and glory, praying. 
um, it's how we communicate with him. It's how we have a relationship with him. So God has everything under control and has a plan for our lives. God loves us. Are you seeking him and his plan for your life? Let me share something that will help. We use the three circles here at, cross, at Crosswinds to help explain and break down uh, and explain the breakdown in our relationship with God and the situation in getting back in step with Him. So the first circle says God's design. It, it talks about God loves you and has a plan, um, and His plan is perfect for us. Remember, His plan is also a sovereign plan for us. He made you and knows everything about you. He knows how many hairs are on your head. Remember the Bible says that he knit you together in your mother's womb. And then he, he ga gives us a choice. A choice to follow him or a choice to reject him. And a lot of us choose not to follow him. Choose, choose to miss the mark. Choose to um, sin. We call it sin. And we can see sin leads to brokenness. When we get to brokenness, we try to self-medicate our brokenness with things like religion, things, good works, experience, immoral acts. But we never find peace in those things. But, the Bible says, God provided good news. The good news, the gospel means good news. He provided the gospel. And it, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus came to the earth as a child. We remembered that just a few weeks ago, and we, we all sang um, about Jesus' birth. It was a, it was a wonderful time. Um, he was raised and served without sinning. He died on a cross to pay the penalty of our sins. He was raised on the f from the dead on the third day, and he's ascended, and he's back sitting at the right hand of God. Just before he died, he cried out, It is finished. John 19, 30 says, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it's finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. In Mark 27, verse 50, and the first part of 51, it says, and when Jesus had cried out in a loud voice, it is finished, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. This was a visible sign that Jesus had pro provides us now with direct access to, f to, his to our Father, God. So we have direct access to God through Jesus because of that. So what do we need to do? We need to repent and follow Jesus. Repent means turning away from sin or dying, completely dying to ourselves and our old life and, and, and being raised up. And the baptism is a good picture of that, dying to your old life and being raised in new life in Christ. You're a new person. Uh, you're reborn. The Bible says you're born. And as a follower of Christ, we start uh, a new life in him with a relationship. When we do that, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of each of us. This restores our relationship with him, and we can recover and pursue God's perfect, sovereign plan once again for our lives. This is required for us to... We, we do this, and until we are saved, it's hard for us to fulfill the first commandment, to love the Lord your God 
with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the most important thing you can do. Todd mentioned that earlier on, is to invite Christ into your life, to turn from, from your sins and follow him. Once we've done that, once we put God first, it's much easier to treat our neighbors as ourselves. In fact, I'd argue without putting God first, it's almost impossible to do that. And it's with pleasure that we go out into the world and make disciples of all nations once we're following him because we want to show God how much we love him and how grateful we are for him saving us. You may say, I'm a Christian. I'm even reaching out to others. How do I find God's sovereign plan for me? And God says, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Are you seeking him with all your heart? Or have you become disillusioned? Do you trust him? Are you, ready, are you reading his word every day? Are you talking to him and praying at least daily? The Bible says, sinner, come home. Disillusioned Christian, come home. God loves you and wants to be in a relationship with you. Come home. Seek him with all your heart. Humble yourself and pray. Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For the I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And in Revelation 3, 20, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Are you allowing God to be sovereign over your life? He has already come to you. He's knocking on the door. All you have to do is open the door and then let him in. Do it now. Don't wait because it could be too late if you wait. The Bible says now is the time for salvation or restoration. Don't put it off. Jesus says, come. Let us pray. Father God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that you are sovereign. We thank you, Father, that, <coughs> that you have a plan for everyone's life, Lord, that you've made us exactly the way you want us. Father, I just pray, Lord, for those who do not know you, Lord, I pray that they will see your salvation they will hear your salvation they will turn to you lord they'll repent die to self and and start a relationship with you for those christians who are just disillusioned lord i just pray lord that you'll help us to restore our walk with you lord and to remember who you are how much you love us and that you do have a sovereign plan for us we pray lord that you'll work in this place both here and online, Lord, I just pray that you'll work with us in Jesus' name. Amen.